Let's go in our Bibles today. Psalm 19. And we're going to tackle the subject of what is the most difficult part of our nature to conquer. Psalm 19. I'm going to begin at verse 12 down to the end, which is verse 14, where we read, Who can understand his errors? And why do we do what we do? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. And I'm sure that we all have secret sins. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Then verse 14, which will be the springboard, the text that I want to accent is this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The title of the message is very simple, right from the text. Let the words of my mouth. There is an organization for people who have or have had mental health problems and the organization is known as Recovery. I have a tremendous amount of respect for this organization, though it's not a Christian organization. And I would like to tell you a little bit about how this group, uh, a very large group now, it's international, was formed. November the 7th, 1937, there was a group of 30 ex-psychotic patients. If you know anything about psychosis, that's not a good place to be. And the psychiatrist, who was the assistant director at the time of the Psychiatric Institute at the University of uh, Illinois Medical School, initiated this self-help group. It was one of the very first self-help groups in our country and in the world. Dr. Abraham Lowe, after years of being a very prominent psychiatrist, realized a few things, one of which was that he had thousands of patients with severe mental health problems, and the cure rate was very, very low. One of the problems was that you could only meet with so many patients in the course of, let's say, a week, a month, or even a year, one at a time. And he began to also realize that many of the things that he had learned in psychiatry, in his studies, in his years of practice, were not working. Dr. Abraham Lowe was a secular Jew. He was an immigrant from Europe. But he was a very brilliant man, one that has always had my respect. He began to realize that there was a lot of simplicity about mental health issues that medical science, both then and now, were missing. He also realized that in order to reach thousands and thousands of people suffering from mental health issues, he needed allies. Where could he get these allies? And then he came up with the idea that the patients themselves could help each other. Thus, the group Recovery Incorporated. Now, one of the things that Dr. Lowe did with this organization and this group, starts with these 30 psychotic or ex-psychotic patients, patients who had been, quote, cured, which they weren't actually cured. He devised a system for the patients to help themselves, one of which was he had leaders that he had trained, and then he, they met with groups, and leaders come out of the groups, and as I said, it's now today an international self-help program. One of the things among many that he did in initiating this program is he created his own language for the patients. The idea was this. I'll give you an example. For any of you who have ever dealt with mental health patients, people, the tendency to exaggerate symptoms, though they are very distressing, is very common. For instance, we all do this, right? We don't talk about a headache. I have a headache. We talk about the splitting headache. It's killing me. And he taught his patients to take out all those adjectives and just simply say, you have a headache. Also, the tendency to, for psychotic patients in particular, or neuro, uh, neurotic patients, to take a thought and say, I just know that this here is a brain tumor. This is not a headache. Doctor, I'm telling you, I know it's a tumor. I can actually feel the tumor growing. Now, again, if you're not experienced in dealing with people with mental health problems, this is simply an imagination. After you've been cleared by, well, today it would be an MRI, a CAT scan, x-rays, and all of this, and nothing is seen. There's nothing there, and the patient insists, I know it's a tumor. He came up with this phrase 
about imagination, that your imagination is on fire. So that's a common parlance in recovery meetings all over the world. They will counsel each other and the patient will make a statement and their fellow there at the table, they meet at the table, and they will say, well, your imagination is on fire. He told us about your nervous system can produce thousands and thousands of symptoms. The vagus nerve, which is a very large nerve, if that gets disturbed, the vagus nerve controls your heart, it controls your lungs, it controls your digestive system. So if you get that aggravated through continual pressure and tenseness, you'll have a multitude of problems. You'll have chest pain and tightness and palpitations and arrhythmias while you're having problems with your stomach, or it could be both, and one day it's the stomach, the next day it's the heart, it's palpitating, fluttering, and on and on. Shortness of breath is a very common nervous symptom when there's really actually nothing wrong with your lungs. It'd be interesting for you to study if you don't know much about it. In any case, I'd like to read to you from his work, Mental Health Through Will Training, and bring this to you as an example of what we're going to talk about today, the words of your mouth. One of the things that Dr. Lowe believed is that language has a tremendous power. Words have tremendous power. And he wrote this in his book, if recovery members are to help and teach one another, they must be instructed to use a language which is not confusing. This is particularly important because language, if used glibly, and I want you to pay attention to what's being said here, this is particularly important because language, if used glibly, tends to be alarmist and defeatist by dint of its defeatist insinuations, language frequently engenders tenseness, which reinforces and perpetuates symptoms. To avoid, he wrote, the fatalistic implications of the language used by the patient, an alternative terminology must be supplied in matters of mental health. There are many languages, features, and gestures speak so do symptoms. What he proposes here for the nervous patient or the mental health patient is that your language, the way you speak, to put it simply, is making matters worse. It's making your headache worse, it's making your palpitations worse, it's making your stomach worse, and so on and so forth. When I started the Renewed group, and I did mention this in some of the meetings that we had back when I was heading them, was that it was the work of Dr. Abraham Lowe that, Lowe rather, that clued me in to this, as I read this one book many, many times, I've read it many, many times, his work, I kept realizing early on, and I was new to the Bible at the time, that these were all principles that were in the Bible. So I put the book aside and began a lifelong study of the scriptures, which I'm glad I did. You would be surprised if you read so many books on you know, how to be a success and how to be a disciplined person and all this. You'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't, how many of these, they're right in the scriptures. When, actually, it was my second doctorate, and I wrote a book called The Bible and Mental Health, a dissertation, The Bible and Mental Health. I made the argument that these things are right in the Bible, and pastors pass right over it. Many and most pastors are very intimidated when they come across a mental health problem. And so they refer, most times they refer those people out, people in their own congregation, dealing with anxiety and depression and all types of things. And I wrote in my dissertation that part of this is an intimidation by the field of psychology, and to some degree psychiatry as well, to give the message that, Pastor, you're not competent. In my dissertation, I quoted from one of the psychology teachers in a Christian school who went on to say, and I quoted her in my dissertation, that, hey, listen, this is our field, psychology. You pastors are not qualified, you are not, and she went along these lines. And I used that to say, this is not true. Matter of fact, the Puritans, they used to refer to their pastors as doctors of the soul. In other words, biblically speaking, a pastor like myself is a soul doctor. Well, I, I'm reluctant to say I'm a psychologist, I'm not a psychologist, but if I can maybe help you this way in understanding what I'm trying to say is that the psychology of God, or in medical terms, the psychiatry of God is superior. That was my dissertation, superior to anything that man puts out. And it is also true what Dr. Lowe said here. When we supply adjectives to our, if you have symptoms, sickness, 
it engenders more tenseness. Now, I'm talking about nervous symptoms, but it could apply to any type of sickness. You're making the matter worse. You're becoming more tense. And it's a very difficult thing to be able to control yourself and speak calmly in, in a controlled fashion. But nevertheless, Dr. Lowe was very, very adamant on discipline for the mental health patient. Very, very adamant. In fact, at one point he said that if you're not ready for this type of teaching and implementing it, better not even come, better not even join the group. Because he came from an entire background where he was a nationally known psychiatrist, and once he began to go against the conventional wisdom at the time, well, it's still around too, the conventional wisdom, he started losing all his friends because he said, this doesn't work. And what I have discovered through my studies does work, and I'm telling you, it does work. But what I discovered on my own is that his teaching was all the time found right here, throughout the pages of Scripture. And that should not surprise us. And so we come to this 14th verse as an example of what Dr. Lowe discovered by experience. It's written here right on the pages. Let the words of my mouth and also the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We'll see in just a few minutes, which many of us already know, that the most difficult part of our flesh to overcome is the tongue. And I want to say this, more people have been destroyed by the tongue of another human being. More churches have been split and divided and to some degree destroyed or even totally destroyed by the tongue. Any other sin that you can think of or name. More than adultery, more than thefts and stealing. False witness would be a little bit different because the tongue is involved. And so maybe that's a good example of how the tongue can be used for incredible evil, which we'll read this in just a moment. Incredible evil. But we're also going to read how the tongue can be used for incredible good. Then I thought to myself in preparing this sermon, I just imagined somebody saying to me, Pastor, the world is on the edge of um, extermination and wars again, rumors of wars in Israel and all around the world, and you're talking about speaking in the tongue. But here's the secret to understanding Jesus. Jesus was always appropriate, always. And again, you know my method, I, I read all week long. I'm a prolific reader, not just of the Bible, but books and books and books and books. But prayer, it would have been easier today to talk about eschatology, which I'm writing about at the moment. And we talk quite frequently about that. But I do believe that this is the topic the Lord would have us to understand today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable. And notice again, in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I won't go through all of the examples I could bring to you to buttress this claim of the Bible of what words can do for better or for worse. And I think I'll get to this now if some of you are jumping ahead of me in your mind. Of the many teachings we've had in the last half century, or actually longer, 20th century, 21st century now, of the mystical power of words. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the misuse of this doctrine. And I will give to you this statement from Latin, abusum non toilet usum. That means the abuse of anything, the abuse of something does not rule out its proper use. So if someone has abused the doctrine of faith and abused the doctrine of words, that doesn't mean that I should avoid talking about the subject, which is a biblical subject. So abusum non tolit usum is applied here because someone has abused the topic of words of your mouth and turning them into mystical things does not rule out the fact that there are truths about our words and more so, and we'll see this again, we're going to see that the tongue is the most unruly part of our human fallen nature and we must get it under control. The Bible says, and we'll see it, if you can control your mouth, you can control every other part of your body. So if you work on your mouth, and I'm just thinking that maybe washing it out with soap once in a while wouldn't hurt. If you can control your tongue and your mouth, you'll be more easily ready to, or it will become easier to master every other part of the fallen nature so that we can walk in the spirit. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, and let's look at this truth by the way, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 12, so many parts of the Bible are very simple to understand. Never overcomplicate the Bible. Matthew 12, verse 33, 
Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt. Now here we have a simple statement that is similar to that which was said to the Laodiceans when Christ addressed them in the book of the Revelation. He said, you're not hot, you're not cold, but I would prefer you're either hot or cold. It's the same thing being said here. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. Having grown up in the city, I want to let you know I was not, and all city dwellers, are not so ignorant of the country that we don't know a fruit tree because it's so easy to know what type of fruit, if it's in bloom, or I should say if it's already producing fruit, you already know. When we bought, uh, when we came into the house, which we now own, it was easy to distinguish an apple tree and a pear tree because the pear tree had pears on it and the apple tree had apples on it. It's simple. Many of the illustrations that Jesus uses are very simple to understand. Make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree evil or corrupt and its fruit corrupt. Be one or be the other. And again, we see the practicality of what we know in the Bible as faith. We see the application when Jesus said, go out and make disciples. Not people just gathered together praying little prayers and banking on some type of um, vaporous idea of the doctrine of what it means to actually be a Christian. Discipleship has always been the program, always will be, and leads us to this, which we've covered in the last few weeks, leads us to the point when Jesus says, when they said, hey, we did this and we did that, and we cast out devils, and, we, and he says, I, I never knew you, because a tree is known by its fruit. Verse 34, Matthew chapter 12, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? And I want to just give a parenthetical statement here. In studying Jesus, in discipleship, in truly following Jesus, we must not make the mistake of thinking of, let me call it the Hollywood Jesus. The Jesus who never really bothered anybody. But if he never bothered anybody, why did they crucify him? If the apostles and prophets of the New Testament and Old Testament never bothered anybody, they wouldn't have killed them. And I'll go further by saying that if you're truly living for the Lord, you are going to bother people. And I'll give you this other clue, which I've talked about frequently. The people that you're going to disturb the most are the ones who say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, then prove it. This almost sounds heretical in today's soft society. You say you're a Christian, prove it. I don't have to prove anything to you. No, you don't, but you must prove it to God. See, I'm here as your teacher and advisor. I don't have to prove it. Yes, you do. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. It's in the book. And I will always remind you, but the advantage that you have with this pastor is that I always tell you, read the Bible. This is where I got it from. I didn't get it from the latest clever Christian book. Truth is, I rarely read most modern Christian books. Rarely. Because I find that they do injustice in many places to this book. It's not the whole counsel of God. We need the whole counsel of God to know God. God is multifaceted, though he's simple. He's multifaceted. You can't accent one doctrine at the expense of the other. We must have them all. Anyway, Jesus is talking here with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he calls them vipers. Now, if we were to counsel Jesus, wouldn't we say to him, whoa, 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 we're trying to get the church to grow. You can't be calling the, the presbytery vipers. But Jesus, again, is always appropriate. And keep this in mind. At this point in time, he's not being uh, particularly gentle, not certainly with his words. And there is something that I want to accent that the words of our mouth is not the way we ordinarily hear it, just one line of speaking. The words of our mouth, in order for it truly to be led by the Spirit of God, must be appropriate. And here, Jesus is being appropriate. He's speaking the truth. These leaders were snakes. And though they be gone many, many long, long years ago, let me tell you something, the church today is still filled with leaders who are snakes. And if you understand Jesus and you say something, again, the crowd says, whoa, 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 what would Jesus do? I know what he'd do because I read what he did. They were vipers and he called them vipers. He didn't say, well, let's schmooze it over, over dinner. Oh, brood of vipers, generation of vipers. How can ye being evil speak good things? Now here it is. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So our words are a reflection of our thoughts, both here and here, right? The heart, the mind. Words are thoughts clothed in language, in this case, English. But pick any language of the world if you want. It's just thoughts 
clothed with language, sounds, and the way we articulate those sounds. Verse 35 says, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. This is an imposing statement, one that every time I read it, I just sit back and say, uh-oh. Jesus said, I say unto you that every idle word men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. If that's not a motivation to conquer your tongue, I don't know what is. See, I can speak in a way, let's say we're all on the same political page. And you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. But God may say, no, no, no. So we've got to make sure that our speech is pleasing to him. Because we're going to give an account for our words. How many of you have had someone, and maybe at a key moment in your life, say something to you that was encouraging, that turned you around, even if it was for the day? But for many of us, it was for our life. Ever? I sat down with a lawyer one time who was um, representing me. And he asked me a question. Why do I do the things that I do? And I just, I don't know. And he said something to me. He said, you know, you're a very intelligent young man. And then he went on to give me some advice. No one had ever told me, not to my face, that I could recall that I was intelligent. You know, that tiny conversation, those little words, was the beginning of me to change my life that eventually led me to Christ. He says, you're a very intelligent young man. Why are you doing the things that you do? I had no answer, but I was more keyed on the fact that, like, I'm intelligent. It's something I never thought about. Now, let's turn it around and say it this way. How many of you have been thrown into either a state of depression or great discouragement by words put onto you by people who uh, didn't really care much? Evil words. Feelings hurt. Well, look at, um, you know, some of you already know this. People have tried, there's some people, have tried to destroy my reputation with their words. But thankfully, and I quoted this, I believe, last week. This is with Israel, but applications for us. No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against thee, in judgment thou shalt condemn it. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I don't mind having a problem. I mean, I have no problem confessing to a real fault when it's pointed out to me. But I will never confess to something I have not done. Never. Absolutely never. We have to understand this. We have all had the experience of people saying mean and cruel things that either nearly destroyed us or destroyed us for a time or set us back, you know, or there's always the person is around as you go out on an adventure and you go out, here's where you've lived so far, this has been the line of demarcation, you decide, I'm going to go out a little bit more, and there's always somebody saying, you can't do that. And they have reasons why you can't excel, and I'm telling you, never listen to these people. Absolutely never. Take that step. Go further. My ambition as I get older, I'm not going to finish weaker than when I started. My ambition is to finish stronger. Stronger. Again, I'll tell you this. I have goals I haven't told anybody, including my wife. I don't even talk about them. I don't want anybody saying, oh, are you crazy? Actually, I did speak a few years ago once to someone. And they said, what? And that was the last time I spoke. Because I'm not going to have anybody tell me what I cannot do when I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. So words, we understand, are very, very important. And we will give an account for every idle word that came out of our mouth, and then we're going to say to God, oh, I I didn't know. Mm -mm." First of all, you've heard it already, and you've read it. So you check, you know it. Number two, it tells us in the Bible, the Bible tells us to guard our hearts, for out of it are the issues of life. So our lives are complex in this respect. There is so much influencing us all the time. And I just want to let you know, I am currently in a detox program, not from drugs, not from alcohol, not from other types of addictions that we usually think of detox. I'm on a detox, something I put myself on, from social media, my television set, which I don't much, much, but I'm even putting aside what I have been watching. I am detoxing. I went through my email list and I eliminated, I don't know how many places I get emails from. I'm limiting the amount of input going into my life that are just mainly distractions but occasionally influencing my thinking. I don't want any influence but the Word of God and the goals I have set in respect to that also with my gifts and talents. I tell you, I would advise you to do the same thing. I'm not saying go off social media totally. I'm just saying detox from it for a while. I am totally determined not to be around toxic people. Now, let me explain that one. I'm a pastor, so I have to listen to toxicity, negative things, depression. And I don't mind, believe it or not. It never stresses me when I'm helping somebody out. I I really enjoy what I do. What does stress me out is the chronic complainer. And when they don't change, 
mentally, I just slick it off. I'm not interested in somebody, you know, look at time is all that we have. Assuming that you sleep eight hours a night, you got 16 hours of a day to get business done. Some of that is consumed with your hygiene and preparation of food and eating food and cleaning dishes and all that stuff and going to work. And so we have precious little time to get what's really important accomplished. And so we must be extremely focused. And one of the things that takes away from that is not just the personal input that we have from family, friends, and other Christians or whatever, friends, but this constant input and sensory input. We're being overloaded with television sets and internet and Bluetooth and all this. I'm currently not only detoxing from social media, I'm detoxing from music, with one exception, classical. I put on some church music last week. You know who it was? Bach. He was a church musician, rather than some buddy with an unbuttoned shirt saying he loves I'm him and him and me. I said, I'm done with all this. I'd rather read Fanny Crosby's hymns, him and me and I and this is how I feel. Who are you talking about? Did you even once mention Jesus Christ? I'm detoxing from a lot of things that I just don't care for. You may not need to detox from the same things I do, but I'm done. I am really done because I'm going to, I see the finish line and I'm going to sprint towards it. That's what I used to always do when I ran the last 100 yards or so. I sprint. I would sprint. No matter how many miles I ran, I would sprint to finish well and to finish strong. Now, to get back on topic, we are hearing from the master that the mouth speaks from what's in the heart. Come with me to James chapter 3 to another chapter, which in detail tells us the chief problem of your life is your tongue. James chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading from the Bible. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know. My brethren, be not many masters. Ooh, I want to be a teacher. Oh, I want to be a bishop. Oh, I want to be a preacher. And the guy says, slow down. Slow down. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, which means an examination. I've told you this, but I want you to remember this. You'll be examined once. I'll be examined twice. Once because I said I'm born again. And the second, because I was a leader of those who are born again. So the scripture here tells us, God tells us through the apostle James, he says, slow down with your ambition. Slow down with your ambition. And by the way, if you're called, you're called. I told a young man not that long ago, because he was talking about his life. He didn't want to make a mistake and spend, you know, 20-something years at a job and realize it wasn't what he wanted to do. I said, well, it's good wisdom. You know, it's really good wisdom. I said, I happen to enjoy the notion and the knowledge that if I were to do my life all over again, I would be a preacher. Not because it's been a bed of roses and a life of ease. It hasn't been. But because I was called and I fulfilled my call. Now, in verse 2, it says, In many things we offend all. We all offend in many, many ways. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So this is where we learn that if you can control your tongue, you can control every other part of you. Let me just give you this as an example. I was reading a book. It's a secular book. And I found it amazing, and I'll tell you why. The author was giving you know, reasons to put this, that, and the other thing away if you want to be, i use the word successful. That's not the reason I'm reading the book. And he adjures the readers to put away pornography. And he went through the reasons why. The release of dopamine and the idea of being a self-disciplined person means self-control. And he's not, I mean, he hasn't professed to be a Christian. I don't know that he is. I don't think so. Because then he got a bunch of other books that are almost completely opposite. You know, and I read stuff like this, and I say, is this the same author? I had to actually check him out a couple of times to make sure this was the same guy. Well, anyway, he still made a good point about the pornography. He was talking about the fact that the instant gratification that it gives you leads to an undisciplined life and so on and so forth. Well, this is the way I reason. If Dr. Abraham Lowe can discover truths in life that God already wrote about, and if this other author can discover truths in life that this book certainly writes about on that subject, we who profess to be Christians, why do we not know these things? Why do we not know that to truly be a Christian means to be one in behavior? The Apostle John writes to us and he says, Don't let any man deceive you. Listen, he that is doing righteousness is righteous. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I prayed a little prayer. Why? Well, it would suggest you might want to start praying a bigger prayer. And a longer one, perhaps. To find out the truth that it's not what you say you are that makes you who you are. It's who you are, who you really are. I could make fun of this sign here, you know. I just got a kick out of it coming past here in the church. How do you really feel? I'm glad nobody asked me that question. I've had people say, how do you feel? I said, don't ask me how I feel. Just ask me what I believe. How do you really feel? 
Well, we have to understand that who we are is a fact of life. And that's determined by how we speak and how we behave and what we do and what we don't do. And let me put it in this context. As you're going to get an email from me soliciting, we need more help as the church is attracting people, that you are supposed to be serving the Lord in your ministry. You say, I don't have a ministry. Yeah, you do. Now, how do I know that? It's in the book. He's delivered to everyone, every man it says, but he's delivered to everyone the gift of faith. And he's given to every one of us at least one talent. Now, some of us have more than one. That means more work. So again, don't start envying people who can do this. Well, they're so talented. That means a lot because to whom much is given, much is required. But let's just say you have one. And God says, use it because at the end of your life, I expect a return on my investment. That being understood, we are who we are. And it's indicated by what we read from Jesus because the tree is known by its fruit, by its behavior. Even though we read here that we all offend all, that means we're not perfect. But the heart must be perfect because that's where the words come from. Verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. All right. Verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, so large and big, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm. Whithersoever the governor listeth, mean whoever's at the helm, presumably the captain in this case, whoever's at the helm where the captain wants the ship to go. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Now here's an interesting thing you can use on your medical friends, doctors. I just tried it and it didn't work. <laughs> What's the strongest muscle in the body? For those of you who study anatomy, physiology, if you work out, you read books on this stuff, what's the strongest muscle in the body? And you may say, well, you know, you got the latissimus dorsi, and you got the rhomboid muscles, and you got the trapezius muscle, and you've got the uh, sartorius muscles, the longest muscle in the leg, and you have all these considerations, muscles, iliopsoas, and all these muscles. The strongest muscle, pound for pound in the body, is the masseter. So one that connects your mandible, your jaw, to the front part of your face. It's the strongest muscle in the body, pound for pound. And I said to myself, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence. God says, control your tongue, and you got the strongest muscle in the body to do it with. If God said to you, shut your mouth, and you say, I can't, he says, that's the strongest muscle. Look it up. I mean, Google it if you want. The strongest muscle, pound for pound, in the body is the masseter, right here. So God says, taisez-toi, if you speak French. Taisez-toi. Fermez la bouche, right? And shut your mouth, or shut up, as we say. He says, I can't. You've got the strongest muscle in the body that says, clamp it, or let it loose. Be a Barnabas, be an encourager. Hey, you know what we need, I think, in this age, especially those of us serving the Lord? We need a lot of encouragement. We're all struggling. As I said, molasses going through mud. It's a struggle. And don't think that you're alone. And don't talk like you're alone, because you're not. So we go through this together, encouraging one another. We shall overcome. We are more than overcomers. Okay, so... Verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. And look at this, and is set on fire of hell itself. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And this is saying... To us, God is saying to us, now the source of these things that should not be spoken are coming from a demonic source. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I'm just thinking, we heard a prayer go up for a little child who may have had a tragic ending. But think of how many children have been destroyed, yourself included now that you're an adult. By words spoken to you as a child. And I think many of us, I wouldn't say all of us, many of us suffered at the hands, of the tongues rather, of other little children because children can be very cruel. Some very cruel things said. How many of you can remember something said to you by your friends you know, as a child that stuck with you right into your adulthood? I can. And if I think of that, to this very day, it'll bring that little slice of depression, little slice of death. And then I go forward with my mind. So I'm not going to think like that. That's way, way past, and I am not that person, thank God, anymore, and so on. See, we cannot underestimate the power of our words. 
You'll never know, for those of you who do write to me occasionally or say something to me that's encouraging, you'll never know how often that comes on just the right day. You say, oh, Pastor Ray, you're always strong, right? No. I became strong by lots of adversity, lots of conflict. Even this morning when I got up, I said, oh, Lord, I got to go back into that chaos again. I don't mean this church. I just mean the whole mess. I got to face the world again. All this chaos, all this confusion. Oh, and back to toxicity for a moment. If you're toxic, I give you two, concerning my own life, I give you two pieces of advice. Get untoxic or stay away from my ears. Because one thing as you get older, you start to notice you start to lose patience in some ways. Things that never used to bother me, I mean, things that used to bother me, now it's like, yeah, you know, my grandchildren, you know, you got a big thing of jelly beans. Is that all right? You don't hate the whole thing. And then things that never bothered me, like noise, well, toxicity for me is a deadly poison, as this book says. Tongue can no man tame. Look at verse 9, James 3. Therewith bless me God. Oh, Lord, amen, hallelujah. Therewith bless me God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men. And I want to say to you, I have overheard conversations, thankfully not in this church here, although they may exist. But when my office was located in the foyer of the church years ago, and I would come out and go into my office and so forth, I couldn't believe that these people, what were they listening to just two minutes ago when I finished as they're talking in the foyer? We're talking about each other. And then, you know, in the Pentecostal church, we have this to deal with too. Thus saith the Lord. And the same person that just said God told him to say this is speaking evil about this one over here. And so I began to reason a long time ago. This can't be the spirit of God. And it isn't the spirit of God because God doesn't put his spirit into an unclean vessel. Yeah, I understand we're cleansed by the blood and now we're cleansed and all this stuff. Yeah, but prove it. Prove that you're actually cleansed by the way you live, by the way you behave and particularly with reference to this topic, by the way you speak. Henry Ford says, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Now think about that. That's wisdom. But that's talking about human potential, which we cannot diminish because there is potential in humans. They've already proven. We've already proven as a race we can do things. And that's without Christ. How much more can we do with Christ, those of us who have Christ? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. He was basically saying your attitude is going to determine your outcome, the outcome of your life. And one other thing I'm throwing in, no extra cost. And if you say, oh, life, I thought life was going to be easy. Surprise! (laughs) It's not. Dark things happen. Bad things happen. Things have happened in my life that never, if you asked me 30 years ago, could these things have happened? I never would have guessed they could have happened to me. To you? Yeah, Yeah. but not to me. And why me? Here's something for you as well. Why not you? Now, you want to go ahead with the Lord, and I know that you guys are serious about this. Expect adversity. Dark moments. But again, with Christ, we can do all things. And when we walk together and stay together, we shall overcome. But we cannot compromise. Cannot compromise the truth. Look at Let's read this again, verse 9. Therewith blessed we God, even the Father, and therewith cursed we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And we read this in Genesis, right? God created us in his image. Therewith blessed we God. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. I couldn't help but to think, you know, when somebody says, wow, man, she's ugly, or he's ugly. Well, it may be true, but probably not something that should come out. I've actually seen women that I have come to believe that actually are the cure for lust. (laughs) I said, God must have had them in mind to cure lust because there's just no way you could look at that with any here too long. (laughs) And I've seen people, you know, men, the same thing. (laughs) That's just the Irish humor in me, I guess. I don't know. I'll probably pay a price on Judgment Day for that as well, but... I guess the point I'm trying to make between something that's said in jest and in humor is not quite the same when you mean it. Look at verse 11. Does a fountain send forth to the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? Again, this is an example from nature. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Years ago, I had a habit of drinking uh, seltzer. I always enjoyed it, still enjoy it. And my wife would always pick up club soda. But for some reason, when she went to the store this one day, she picked up quinine. Mm. So I came home, it's a hot afternoon. I said, oh man, just can't get some of that seltzer. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you knew you drink it. Uh, <laughs> 
You can have the bottle I still got left over. <laughs> Quinine. But let's say you had a water faucet, and you didn't know at what time you're going to pull this thing It's going to put sweet water, regular water, fresh water, or it's going to put salt water, bilge water. And you know, we can be like that. You don't know if this person's going to say something edifying or something totally destructive. And the Bible says, this should not be. Make the fruit good, make the tree good and the fruit good, or make it evil and make it corrupt. You see, it's easier to deal with someone who's always speaking wrongly because you know when you listen to them, you know how to protect yourself. Shutting them down, shutting them off, whatever, walking away. But when you don't know what the fountain's going to produce, that's problematic. Because you're expecting like, hey, and all of a sudden, it's evil. Let me say this now. Words can be used in so many, many ways. I gave you general categories that the Bible gives us, but there's many, many ways. All I have been doing for these 44 years is using words to communicate. Sometimes, uh, hopefully today, it's a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's a word of reproof, a word of exhortation, and so on. Words. And we have opportunity in this benighted world to put forth hope, to put forth faith, and something that is desperately needed in our time is Jesus the healer. Because your doctor says you're going to die does not mean you're going to die. And sometime maybe we can spend time on this. I'll give you the medical references that we find right here in the Bible. You see, man discovers God's truths, but God codified them all through the book. I hate to hear people talk in terms of theoretical joy. What in the world good is, it's like having theoretical open heart surgery. I go into the hospital, the doctor, the surgeon says to me, here, watch this YouTube video, you'll be fine. I don't understand how that works. No, he says, we're cutting. We're going to retract your sternum and pull your ribs apart and put our stinking hands in there. Well, not stinking, but we're going to put our hands in there. You're going to feel wonderful when you come out. But remember, there's a difference between the knife of a butcher and the surgeon's scalpel. One is designed to heal, one is designed to kill. We need to come to Christ, our healer. I don't need you to raise your hand because I know all of you so well, at least well enough, that you're dealing with aches and pains and sicknesses and diagnoses and all that. Now we can come to Christ and say, by his stripes, I am healed. Your anxieties and your worries and your depressions and your aching muscles and your arthritis and all these things. I'm reading from secular sources. As I said, I, I read a lot on a lot of topics. And I say, well, that principle is in the Bible. And that principle is in the Bible. And that principle is in the Bible. Christ is our healer. I'll tell you one story. And some of you may remember, and maybe some of you have never heard, of a Pentecostal evangelist who lived at the turn of the century into the 20th century, name of Smith Wigglesworth. Now, he lived the old Pentecostal, he lived the biblical life. Unlike these healers, air quotes, that come along, their lives are filled with adultery and stealing and all this. And then they put forth this, and nobody's really healed. But that, once again, abusum, non tolit usum, because someone abused the doctrine doesn't mean that Christ is not a healer. He was a healer, and he still is a healer. So Wigglesworth was in Belfast, and he went to a church to speak, and the pastor that was there told him of a story of an older woman who was in the congregation. And the pastor explained that this woman could pray and bring the blessing of God down on the meeting. But she took a slip, she was older, she took a slip and broke her femur, two places. So she was bedridden, and the pastor really missed her, and what can we do? The doctors put a cast on her leg for five weeks. When they took the cast off and she tried to walk, she fell again and broke her leg again. Now, not only was she in bed, but her husband was in a wheelchair for the last four years, sitting over here. So Wigglesworth went to visit, and in his British colloquialism, he said, well, what of it now? And she explained to him what had happened, which he already knew. She said, but when I heard you were in town, I began to have faith that no matter what the doctors say, God can heal my leg. Then her husband chimed in. I'll never believe. You can't get me to believe. I will not believe. And Wigglesworth just said, all right. But he said to the woman of prayer, he says, now I'm going to lay my hands on you. And when I do, God is going to work. Something's going to happen. Do you believe that? She says, yes, I do. He laid his hands on her. She began to respond. And he said to her, he says, now I'm not going to assist you out of the bed. God will do the work. She began to get up and walk and kind of dance around the place. Her husband says, heal me, heal me, heal me. You know what Wigglesworth said? And this is, see, this is biblical approach. He said, he said, you old sinner, repent. Now, he wasn't concerned about the politics of what would happen in the church. He told the man the truth. Your wife's a godly woman. You're an old sinner. Repent. And the man did. Or at least he said he did. 
He laid his hands on him. He started walking around. And with respect to our words, look at me. Let me say this to you. If you don't have it, you can't fake it. Don't try walking around saying you're this and you're that when you're really not. You're ground out by the Lord in private and test after test and test after test and test after test until you are the real thing and God is filling you with his spirit so that when you lay hands on people, things actually happen. I'm thinking about our brother, our brother, Randy's brother. He's doing a lot better, right? The report wasn't good at the first, right? Did we pray on the phone that night? Yes, and I know he believed, and I certainly know I believe, because I don't pray, so if and all that. God, I thank you that you're raising him up right now. God, I thank you right now that you're healing him. God, I thank you. And so that's how I pray. I don't know how you pray, but I would suggest you pray like I pray. No wavering. And I say that, bring that to you, to say this all comes from words. What is prayer? Words. Oh, God, and we say all these things. But we have to make sure that we are in congruence between what we're saying and what we actually are inside. And when we do, I submit to you, this is probably one of the greatest needs we have today in Christianity, is to see the power of God move again. Not to simply intellectualize things and give great sermons, but to really see God move, to heal. really was a case that was really, really bad when Randy called me up that night. It was a desperate case. I know my anatomy and physiology, and that was not a good case. But God is God. He's not only the creator, he's the recreator. He could take your stomach or your lungs or your heart or whatever, and he could recreate it. He said so. Medical science is proving so. And what they're doing is giving silent testimony, unwitting testimony, to the power of God that's written in this book. And this is what we need in this hour. We need to be able to speak so that words like Samuel's do not fall to the ground, but have the effect that God intended them to. We heard this in the prayer meeting. That his word will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish that for which he sent it. You're praying for the loved ones of your family, your children, whatever. You pray, you thank God. Now, this is how I pray. Well, really, for anything. I said, I don't care. I get a bad report. I'm praying. I said, God, I will not be moved by what I see. I will not be moved by what I feel. I will not be moved by what I sense. And there's the devil trying to get me to sense and feel everything. I'm only going to be moved by what I believe. And I believe your word. I believe your word. And there may be some tests and trials in between before we get to the very end, but that's just the process. Let the words of my mouth be found acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength, my redeemer. I'd like to challenge you this morning. You have sickness, you have illness, you have depression, you have anxiety. So I know at least one came in today not feeling good. I'm glad that you came, bringing your not feeling good with you. Because I know, I told my sister, I said, you're going to feel better by the time you leave here. Why did I say that? Because I'm here? No, because Christ is here. Because Christ is here. If we're going with all the reports heard over here, 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 please, I tell you right now, and I say this, I love you guys, but don't bother me with it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear what the problem is. I already know what the problem is. Believe it or not, I was told I was an intelligent person. I believed it. We got to go forward with force and establish superior firepower with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to go forward and see the Lord do marvelous things in our eyes. Then the world will have to take up notice because in Mark chapter 16 it says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Don't take out the word believe. Oh, these signs are, no, they'll follow them that believe. Do you believe? So I'm going to pray for you right here, right now. Right here and right now. I'm going to pray for you. What is your trouble? Depression, anxiety, depression and anxiety, heart trouble. And then we go down this whole list. As you know, for several years now, I've been having some stomach issues. And every time my stomach acts, I say, I understand you're doing your job, but we're going to be healed here, bud. And that's how I deal with myself. How many of you need a healing from the Lord? Need a healing? No, then stand up and come forward. Let's anoint them with oil, would you? Give me a hand here today. You know, strength is something, strength that comes from Christ, is something that you can actually touch it. And the reason I'm thinking of that is because I had this young girl in training in the gym, 21, and we're doing core work, some planks. I said, here, boy, touch my stomach. She said, boy, I didn't expect that. I said, what did you expect? That was going to be fluffy? The Spirit of God makes us strong. It communicates itself to the body, to the brain, to the eyes, to all of us. And this is what we need. We need testimonies. And you don't have to lie about it. Say, I think I'm kind of healed. When you go to the doctors, they'll say, wow, there's a change in the x-ray. There's a change in the blood. 
And this is what we need in this hour. We need to see the power of God coming through in every single possible way. So take your illness, whatever it is. It could be psychological, spiritual, physical, all of the above. And we're going to go before God. God is going to work. God is going to work. And we're going to see his people made strong. Father God, in Jesus' name, and I know a lot about a lot of the people here and what they're standing for and what's troubling them physically, mentally, uh, spiritually. But you, you'll break that yoke of bondage. Break that dark spirit over the mind. Break the anxieties and the fears coming in from the evil one. Using the media, using all the craziness, chaos that's in our world. But Father God, in Jesus' name, today, not some, not a few, let everyone who's come forward and was anointed with oil be healed in Jesus' name. God, I'm thanking you and blessing you right now that the power of Satan and sickness and disease and the fear of death be broken over the lives of your people here. Those that are watching on television, those that are listening by way of radio, that you are breaking the yoke of bondage and feeling the chains. They can feel the chains falling off of their lives. Oh God, I thank you and bless you and, and praise you. I want to give you the thanks that right now, though I cannot see it, but I know it by faith that you're working right now in your people and strengthening them, strengthening the teachers we have downstairs who are not at this altar call, those working in nursery, that you're strengthening everyone in this building, strengthening with might by the Spirit in the inner man. And we bless you for that. And we praise you for that. Again, God, you are great. And you are greatly to be praised. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We give you all of the honor. For you truly are the only true God. We bless you for that. We praise you for that. So Father, we thank you and we bless you for our time together today. As you are reviving your church. Sending us reformation. And we believe, though maybe we're not seeing it all the time, I already know, by things that I'm hearing from people that are unknown, you're turning the country around for one more great awakening. I bless you for that. I praise you for that. I give you all the honor and I give you all the glory for that. Father, today, this truly is the day, it's the Lord's day, that you have made. And we can and we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. So God... Help us and remind us during this day and during this week to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. Then to love one another. And we'll fulfill every other law of the Bible. Bless your people as they go. Give them safe traveling mercy on the way home. And just a wonderful day. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Let's all say it together. Amen. 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 Amen.